the screen. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us.
Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Isn't that good? You can find that on YouTube if you want at Bible Project and then just type in Bible Project Agape. You can watch that video uh, on your own time as well. Uh, the idea of agape, as we mentioned here, it was a word that meant for people like Plato, it meant family love. But then the New Testament writers upped the ante or they got more specific with what that word agape meant. It meant self-sacrificing love, particularly in the person of Jesus. And so we thought we would start off 2022 on our first few Sundays of the year, really honing in, reminding ourselves, or even just introducing you to the love of God, which has so many aspect, aspects and, and facets. We could study it forever. But we thought this would be a great foundation for this year. You have a journal that you may have caught when you walk through it on the tables in the back. You can, you can grab one as you leave as well. Just has some notes and some kind of further action steps beyond what we talk about here today. But uh, this morning we want to go into this idea that God first loved us. Let's say it all together just to both wake you up and to have this truth come into your mind. God first loved us. God first loved us. Incredible. God first loved you and me. Doesn't even make sense, does it? Now, for some of us that have grown up in a Christian context, we've heard about the love of God uh, often in our lives. Maybe even you had the privilege to go to Sunday school as a child and one of the first Christian songs you ever sang and remembered and heard was what? Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. Little known fact, there's like 20 stanzas to Jesus loves me. You should look them up sometime, they're really interesting. But Jesus loves me, we hear that as a child and so some of us it becomes just second nature, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, as an adult, tragedy or trial hits us or our script gets flipped for what we thought would happen in life and all of a sudden this child truth that seems so simple and real to us we begin to question a bit does God really love me others of us became Christians later in life and we have some past some brokenness from our pre-Christian life and the enemy is really good at dialing up that shame and guilt in our minds and lives. How could you call yourself a Christian? Remember you did this? You pass a place on the freeway. Remember what happened there? The enemy is good at bringing up shame and guilt from our past. And, and that can cause us to, to wonder if God really loves us. 
Others of us grew up in a, a home that was about performance. If you got two hits in your Little League game, then you had an attaboy from your parents. If you struck out twice, it was kind of uh, not so good. And that developed into your life where you felt like you had to perform in order to be loved. And when you're not performing, it's hard to feel or experience the love of God. I think that covers really probably three different categories of us that are, are here today. We grew up as a child, understand the love of God, but then trials and, and troubles hit us and we question. Uh, we have a past and, and we feel guilt and shame. That help, it's hard for us to receive the love of God. Or we're about performance and when we're not performing, or not performing how we think we should, then we struggle to accept the love of God. First John was written to us on this very issue. And so turn, if you will, in your Bibles to 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, which was also written by the disciple John. But go to 1 John. It's right before 2 and 3 John, which I know helps no one. <laughs> 1 John, and I want to specifically go to chapter 4. We're going to simply look at just a few verses here. 1 John's broken up. The first couple chapters are all about God is light. Brings light into the darkness. The second half of 1 John, chapters 3, 4, and 5, uh, the theme is God is love. And right here in the middle of chapter 4, verse 7, we see this loud and clear. John, the author, is often described as the disciple of love because he talks about God's love so much in his writings. So follow along with me. I'm in the New Living Translation. 1 John 4, verse 7. It says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not, know, not love does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And so John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote this at the end of the first century. Maybe about 60 years after Jesus had died on the cross and risen again. And yet the truths from 1 John 4 translate into January 2022. Amen? And so this speaks to us. Those that struggle with performance. Those that struggle with shame and guilt. Those that question God when things get hard. 1 John 4 speaks to us. First thing that I think it says is this. That God is love. 
It says right there in those opening passages, opening verses of our section here. It says that love, you can see highlighted there, comes from God. So love isn't from Hallmark or from Hollywood, but it's from the holy God. I think you missed that. That was pretty good. <laughs> love isn't from Hallmark or Hollywood. It's from the holy God. Amen? That's where love comes from. It was invented by God. In fact, more than that, God is love. You can see circled there on the passage. Now, what this means and doesn't mean, it does not mean that love is God. In other words, we don't worship love. That would be called pantheism, worshiping some object in our world or emotion. We're not worshiping the fact or idea of love. No, we're saying that God is love, meaning that God is the very essence and nature of love. Or a better way to say it is that God's very character is loving. Such good news for us. That this is the God that we can know and relate to. A God of love. God is love. Other false teachings have no idea about this. My brother was a missionary in, of all places, Afghanistan. And he met with a man who had a Muslim background. And he described to him this idea that God is love. And this Muslim who was studying to be a doctor had no words. He just sat there looking at the scripture saying, I, I, I can't comprehend that God would be like this. This is not my version of God. I see God as strict and set apart and bigger and away from us. How could God be those things yet also be loving? Now, God is holy. God is set apart. God is to be feared in good ways. And yet the scriptures tell us right here, God is love. Love comes from him. And that word that's used there by John in the Greek is agape. Agape meaning self-sacrificing love. You see, God's love's made visible in this. Keep reading down what we just looked at. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. So the first visible example that God is love, that God is loving, that that is his nature, is that he sent his son into the world. Christmas. Okay, true confessions, we're family. How many of you still have your Christmas tree up? Okay. <laughs> this is a safe place, full of grace. You know, at some point, though, the tree begins to get a little stale. Or if it's artificial, you just kind of get tired of moving around it. And you only can listen to so many Christmas songs every season, right? Do you have that moment when you just hit your last kind of tolerance of Christmas songs? Some of you are like, never. Well, I want to start listening in July. <laughs> but the Christmas season comes and goes. And yet, this truth is not just for a season. This truth impacts everything that we think and do. God visibly showed his love by 
coming into our world. Emmanuel, God with us. It's incredible. If you're ever in a moment when troubles in your life make you question, does God really love me? Look to the stable and the incarnation. If you're ever in this place where your guilt and your shame of your past is is just threatening to swallow you up, remind yourself that God came into our world to demonstrate his love. If you're struggling with performance and and I got to do more and got to do better, the incarnation speaks to you that it's not about your performance. In fact, 1 John 4 tells us that really we were unlovely and yet God's love came for the unlovely. Look at the beginning of 9, first part of 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't love God first. In fact, we did the opposite of that. We were rebellious. We were shaking our fist at God. We wanted nothing to do with God. In a sense, we were saying, God, we don't love you. And yet God said, I first will initiate. I will go to you. I'll enter into your world. I'll show you my love. I will love you far before you ever love me. If you're in 1 John 4, maybe put your finger or something there that can go back to there. But go, over to, go backwards to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. It says it better than I could ever say it. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1 Corinthians, or I'm Romans, and then you get 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Romans 5, verse 8, says these life-giving words. But God demonstrated, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, While we were still, and what's the scripture say? While we were still sinners. We were not attractive to God. We were rebellious in our sin. And yet God demonstrated his love. I think of it like this. This is a great commercial. I don't know if you saw this when you were watching football games over Christmas. But it's a a credit card commercial and it features... Uh, the NBA um, former player Charles Barkley. And he's lined up with these kids on a basketball court. And there's these two kids that are the captains. Do you remember this in like PE class? It was the worst, wasn't it? I think every PE teacher when they go through training is given a whistle, given a clipboard, and then basically given the instructions of how to humiliate kids. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, what, a, what a brutal way to pick teams. Everybody line up. You have two captains. The captains pick their friends, start whittling it down, the best athletes, and then eventually you get to like the last two or three kids left. Anybody ever been one of those last two or three kids? I have a, a random funny story that um, a, a few of us were playing wiffle ball at a park in Orange, uh, a bunch of us families, and uh, my son was one of the captains of the wiffle ball team, and so we had everybody line up just like I described. And there was only a couple people left, and it was Eric Wakeling and, my, and me. 
guess they figure like, ah, pastors are too nice, they won't win. And so my son was the captain, so it was his dad and Eric, and he chose Eric. <laughs> Which actually ended up being a really good choice. And Eric, if you were here, you would vouch for this, because Eric's team won with my son. So it, it, was, it was a good choice. <laughs> but you've been in those moments, right? Last pick. In a sense, I, I'm making a little bit of a stretch. But we were the last pick. There was nothing in us that deserved being selected. So in this commercial, Charles Barkley, six foot six, he's with all these kids, and um, the team captain picks Charles Barkley first, and then his team ends up dominating the other kids. It's, you know, you'll have to watch it sometime. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good uh, point. But we were the opposite of Charles Barkley. Nothing in us, nothing in us was worthy to be chosen. Nothing in us deserved to have God become Emmanuel. We were sinners, rebellious, shaking our fists. And yet God is love. And God first loved us. Amazing. Another way that God visibly shows his love to us, it continues here in this passage. Go back to 1 John from Romans. 1 John 4.10. The second half of 1 John 4.10. It says this, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then this, he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So the second way that God's love is made known to us is in the crucifixion, the cross, and then in the resurrection. So follower of Jesus, when you face trials, when your script is flipped... And you're questioning the love of God. Remind yourself of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and then ultimately the resurrection. Demonstrating that you need a savior, that you need forgiveness from your sins, and that God has done that. And he has demonstrated his love to us in this. For those of you that struggle with guilt and shame, and there's those moments when you're so weighed down, look to the cross. The crucifixion, the resurrection. For those of us that need to perform for God in order to feel like he's going to love us, look to the cross and the resurrection. John just makes it simple but so profound. God is love. We are unlovely. But he's demonstrated his love to us in both coming into our world, dying And then rising again. Then it goes on. God's love, when it meets us, when we understand it, it changes us. It transforms us. Verse 11 and verse 12 say it like this. It says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. We'll talk more about this in the next two weeks. How God's love transforms and changes us from the inside out in order to love other people. But I want you to see kind of a preview of that right now. As we become more in touch with the idea that God is love and that love has come for us, the unlovely ones, 
It naturally changes us and transforms us. Yesterday, a few of us had an opportunity to go hear Daryl Strawberry. He's also an 80s uh, athlete, played for the Mets. Came out here for the Dodgers for a little bit too. Daryl Strawberry was known, if you're an NFL fan today, he was known as the Antonio Brown of his era. He was a bad boy, was a drug addict, got kicked out of Major League Baseball. Yesterday, he stood up on a platform like this and talked for 35 minutes about Jesus. His life has been completely changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. And at the end of his talk, it was the most beautiful thing. It was so cool. At the end of his talk, he invited, this was a men's event, he invited men to come down. Daryl Strawberry is about the same size as Charles Barkley, like six foot five, six foot six. Daryl Strawberry went down and invited these men down, and he just began to hug men and just told over them, God loves you. Here's a man who had everything in life, threw it all away. A few years ago, he was $3 million in debt. And yet God's love met him in a real way. His life was transformed. And now he's using that transformation to point others towards the wonderful love of Jesus. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I think there's like an elephant in the room. And at least in my mind, maybe it will be when I stir this one up. It's great that God loves us. But how does that impact our Monday morning? <laughs> you know? Tim Keller is a pastor out in New York, and, and he writes about a time that he spoke about this very topic, the love of God. And after the message, uh, a teenage girl came up to him. And this girl walked up and she goes, Pastor Keller, it's great what you talked about. I really appreciate it. But what is God's love going to do for me when I can't even get a date? And Keller looked at her, and he just had compassion on her. He understood. As a teenage girl, uh, yeah, the love of a boy would mean so much. And God's love is great, but, but boy, what, I have that, but, but what about this? And we all, I think, have that mentality or, or struggle. Yeah, God's love is great. We'll walk out of here. We'll get in our car. Yeah, God loves me. All right. Well, I still have bills to pay tomorrow. <laughs> I still have that angry neighbor to face when I pull in my driveway. I still have broken relationships at work that I'll experience when I get there tomorrow. How does God's love impact those things? And I, I think it's a good question. It's complex. Maybe even another way to kind of go about this same question is... When so many hard and bad things happen to people, where's God in that? Where's God's love in those moments? When the little boy or girl is trafficked in India, where's God's love then? When someone dies without hearing the good news of Jesus, where's God's love at that moment? And I just have to stand up in front of you, my brothers and my sisters, with integrity. I've been to seminary. I've studied. These are hard questions. <laughs> I can't give you a 30-second answer to that question. But here's what I can do. 
I can tell you that when you experience the love of God, some of those questions are still there, but they fade in importance. Let me try to give you an example. You know, say a mom is walking with her child. They're walking in the park. They're holding hands. And the little child knows, they know that their mom loves them. They know it. But then the mom reaches down and she picks up her child and she places him right here, squeezes him and whispers into his ear, Mommy loves you so much. In that moment, the child already knew that mom loved him. But in that moment, it comes from knowing to experiencing. And I believe that many of us need to experience the love of God in a fresh way. We might know it, but we haven't experienced it. And when we do, some of these difficult questions of where were you God when? They're still there. But they begin to fade in importance because we're so connected to the love of God. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at this verse right here. Romans 5, 5. It says what I just said. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So I want us to take a moment and I want us just to ask the Lord, God, by the power of your spirit, would you fill my heart with love? I might know it here, but God, today would you do a heart surgery? Today would you help me to know it here? And so here's what I want us to do. Uh, if you could close your eyes, I promise we're not going to do like anything weird. <laughs> but just close your eyes as a, as a posture of um, prayer, focus. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read some passages of scripture over us. Passages that you may have heard before. I want you to listen to those passages. And I want you just to ask God, God, I know it. Help me to experience it. Change me. Transform me. May this just not be a good talk. May this be an encounter with you. And so I'll give you a moment to be silent. Pray in your own way, quietly before God. And then I'll just read some of these passages. chapter 3, 18 and 19. Tell us, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your unfailing love, O oh God. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that's what we are. John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5. But God who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Proverbs 3, verses 10 and 11. Don't be upset when God corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that neither nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loved us first. Father, in this moment, God, we... We need you. This is a truth that can escape us so quickly. Can get drowned out by other voices that compete. God, I just pray that we could understand somehow, some way, even a small way, that you are love. And that you have loved us first. While we were unlovely, you loved us first. God, speak that truth to us now. Thank you for visibly showing us your love through the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection. God, may those be benchmarks we point to often. And God, would your love transform us from the inside out. As we are loved, may we love others. This is our prayer. In Christ.